Have you ever wondered what it takes to build a successful business in the Australian property industry? Well, you've come to the right place. Welcome to Business and Property Development, a monthly podcast in which industry leaders share their insights and experience with host Harry Karadimus. Hello and welcome to Business and Property Development. This month's episode features Sarah Riley, founder and managing director of Cred Consulting. In property development circles, CRED are leaders in the fields of social planning, research and engagement. They play a pivotal role in advising government authorities and private developers how to best utilise their land to achieve optimum social outcomes for the communities in which these developments are situated. We are well aware, particularly in Sydney, how bleak communities can be when planning frameworks are ill-considered or site-based development approaches are the preferred or only viable method of delivery. Aside from building out CRED's experience in the field, Sierra has created a business that operates with extreme clarity in their purpose, values and mission. I won't say too much more on this as I'll let Sierra's passion for both her business and her craft do the talking. So without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Sierra Riley. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you with me. It's great to be here. Today, there are a couple of key themes which I would love to be unpacking with you. First is your business wisdom in building and leading an amazing company. The second are your industry insights when it comes to the planning and creation of robust and complete communities. So to kick things off, I'd like to ask you a couple of brief questions to paint a picture of you for our audience. If you can tell me where were you born and where did you grow up? I was born in Brisbane in 1970 and I grew up in the suburbs of Brisbane. And what about going to school? I went to Catholic girls schools, went to university in Queensland and then moved to Sydney with my now partner of 25 years. What did you study post-schooling? Did you have any idea of what you wanted to do or? No, I I did what was very new for the time, which was a recreation, Bachelor of Arts in Recreation Planning. Honestly, at the time I had no idea what it was. I thought I was doing some sort of film studies course. (laughs) I was 16 (laughs) years old, but actually it was probably quite pivotal in my life because I've ended up being a social planner. And a very big part of that is public open space and recreation planning, which is something I'm really passionate about. In terms of early career path after that, did you get into the field straight away or in social planning or was it? No, I went back to university and did a postgraduate in communications because I just love writing and talking to people. And then I ended up working in Queensland government in the Department of Health in Parliament House and also at Brisbane City Council. And at all those places did all sorts of different kinds of policy review and, you know, uh, recreation programs for young people and old people, a really broad spectrum of sort of social policy and programs. Did that really grab you as a... I loved it. When I got to Brisbane City Council and I was working in those programs, we had some amazing things we did. There's a program called Gold, which was Growing Old and Living Dangerously. And it was all about a program for people over the age of 60 or 70. It was things like abseiling and roller skating and all these really out there activities that most people wouldn't think of doing. And it was a really innovative program, probably one of the first in the world, really. And we took it out to people in the areas they lived in. We didn't ask people to come into venues and places like that. So it really taught me a lot about 
outreach-based service and particularly around engaging with communities in the places where they are rather than asking people to come to you. And I moved to Sydney and then I worked in all sorts of jobs, as you do when you move states. You just take what you're given, really. I mean, I worked at Waverley Council, but I was lucky enough to work there during the Olympics. So I got to work on all sorts of Olympics events and things like that. Also, the Paralympics did a lot of work for council organising events, not organising events, but, you know, participating in events with, with the council, beach volleyball and things like that. Then I went to South Sydney Council, which happened nice. to amalgamate <laughs> to become the city of Sydney with Clovermore as the mayor. So mm. I feel like I've had lots of really fortuitous times in jobs when big things have happened in organisations that have really um, enabled me to be exposed to big events and big government things. Actually, they're they, they <laughs> <Yeah>. enormous in, <laughs> the, in the context of Sydney. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. And and I wasn't in particularly senior positions, but I'm one of those people who'll do anything and yeah. works really hard. So I think I just got the opportunity to be involved in, in the big decisions and the big events that were happening. Thinking like the amalgamations, like how to... That was huge. Yes, yeah, our Sydney Council, mm. amalgamating into being city Sydney and so I was working with the general manager at the time on writing all the submissions around the mergers and what needed to happen and things like that. It was a very exciting time to be in an organisation to see um, an all-female leadership come in. So Monica Brony became the CEO and she was the former director of community services, I yep. think, which is kind of an unusual role to be then made a CEO of the city of Sydney. Yeah. And Clovermore came in as an all-female team. They really dedicated themselves to investing in the community and investing in public spaces, community facilities, cultural facilities, which was a real change, I think, for the area. Just wondering if the all-female side of things really helped to drive that forward and absolutely it, it did and you think if you had a potentially an all-male leadership would it have gone a different way and would you have just planned for a large part of sending in a different way curious to, absolutely yeah. it was definitely a very public deliberate decision yeah. of Clover and Monica to to invest in public open spaces yeah. and community facilities it was because you can imagine, yeah, it'd be so different. Yeah, it was very sports, different, yeah. <laughs> sports and development focused before that. Yeah, if you remember. I often go down to Circular Quay and I look at the toaster and I think, how did that happen? How did that big residential development happen that blocks the view to the Opera House on one of the most important public spaces in Sydney, if not Australia? Yeah. And would that have happened if? that government had been in three years earlier, probably not. Yeah, because now that it's privatised, that's never going back to public. It's never going back. And, you know, I went and saw the Pixies recently with my kids and the noise, the sound was so muted because obviously they're not allowed to be too loud to impact on the residents. And that's so disappointing. It's an international entertainment site. And because that residential was allowed there and, you know, very high high end, end, there's a lot of power Mm. in the people who live there as well. So I think those kinds of decisions in cities can have really long lasting impacts. So I'm thinking maybe like the KL Expressway, which is coming on board now. That's right. Yeah, really important to get that. Definitely get that right. to, yeah. to give that back yeah. to people. And I think post-COVID, people are really, really, really eager and really keen to get out back into their communities, mm. into public space and be part of something. So let's talk about the, the switch to private practice. So what was your defining moment where you thought, <laughs> well, actually, you know, maybe I've had enough of being in government. Um, yeah. I want to give business building yeah. a, a shot. So like a lot of women, that wasn't really a conscious decision. It was a matter of a necessity. I have a partner who works in film and television, which is a particularly family-unfriendly industry, and travelled a lot interstate. And so having a full-time job just 
really wasn't going to work. But at the same time, I'm the kind of person who needs to be busy. So I was really, really lucky to have had good relationships with my previous employers who I was able to start doing contract work. And at the time, social planning wasn't really a big thing. You know, community engagement professionals weren't really a big thing. Mm -hmm. So I was just lucky enough to start doing little pieces of work. And then as a result of those little pieces of work, I realized that there was a gap in the market for really socially focused planning and facilitation. And I started very much working with grassroots organizations, not-for-profits, non-government organizations, because I have a real passion for community and heart. And maybe that goes back to my days of going to those Catholic girls' schools. I don't know. (laughs) But it definitely was ingrained in me that you need to do the work that you do should make the world better. It's just been like a little guiding principle and very, very strongly driven by ethics and values and very proud of where I've come with Craig Consulting and how we've kept those ethics and values while also being a sustainable business. So in terms of it not being a a discipline or so to speak, was it that it was always kept in internal in organisations or was it just not given the airtime or not given the consideration in private? I think that social outcomes have never really been understood by the big end of town or the people who invest in things as having value Mm. so you know obviously how much money you can make out of something or how much money something costs was always the biggest decision maker anywhere and I'm sure you've come across that in your work Um, and you hear the term that lands too valuable to do that on or what's the value in that and I guess what I've always tried to stress is that it's too expensive not to do it. There is so much value that we get out of investing in social outcomes, yeah. investing in good education and libraries and public open spaces, including, you know, reducing the impacts on our health system, on our policing, better innovation and educational outcomes, you know, means that Australia as a whole is more successful. So by kind of supporting our communities to, to live better and to have better, so, better lives socially, we all benefit. And I think that that's finally being understood. Mm. We have a federal government now who has a community wellbeing measure in the decisions that they make. I've just noticed in the industry property, I think, industry, that social value is now being understood as really, really important yeah. and that people actually expect it that consideration in the places that they move into. Which is fantastic, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. It's yeah. a really exciting time. Yeah. When I first started, I have to present at a meeting and it was mostly all men and they would say things like oh you do all the soft fluffy stuff (laughs) I was introduced once probably shouldn't tell this this tale when I got my fellowship with the Planning Institute of Australia as uh, you do all the social you do you plan all the parties so you know even within the industry there's a real there hasn't been a real appreciation of the really deep evidence base um, and and research that's required to do really good social planning and analysis to inform better communities and places and cities. Uh, Before we get into how you've built Cred, I'd love to just paint a bit of a picture about what the company is and does so that we can sort of better understand like the decisions that you've made, you know, to prop that business and to build it. So how would you describe what Cred is and does? So, So Cred is a uniquely socially focused planning and engagement consultancy. We work with all levels of government and also the private sector, so private developers, and also some not-for-profits like the community housing sector. And we provide engagement, research or planning advice to them to help them either build housing developments, to improve public open spaces and parks, to build libraries and community centres. Where should they go? 
how big should they be, why are they important, why do you need them? And we do that from the site level. So if you're a private developer and you are you have a new, I don't know, 1,000 dwelling uh, development you're building, what are the community needs that should go into that development? Why should you d- deliver them and what should you be contributing back out of your development? all the way to the local government area where we might look at what are all the community facilities, that's your libraries and your community centres and childcare centres and your schools. What do you need for that local government area over the next, say, 20 or 30 years? And we work all the way up to the state government where we might do big pieces of research around public open space, cultural recreation, things like that. Our work is super diverse. We've built a real niche in understanding those underrepresented groups and a lot of that is because we also do community engagement which means we go out and talk to people all the time about what they need and collaborate with them on decision making and by going out and talking to all those different kinds of people you just learn so much more about why things are important and how things could be done you know people people know their areas people know what they need it's just one more piece of the kind of technical study pie I think is listening to people who who live and experience places as well because I was going to ask the in the way that you collaborate with both your clients and also their yes that's right so you've got research you've got you've got in-person yeah in so, the field so, we, so we do research so you know primary and secondary research we've won a lot of awards for our research yeah. actually we we did a research project for the greatest sydney commission where we literally tried to map how social capital existed across the three cities which basically means where are those places and spaces that people can connect yep. and bond and bridge relationships and share knowledge and um, improve outcomes and what's the difference between the different cities so the eastern harbour city obviously having so many more of those kinds of places mm. because of how long it's been around and the other cities that they're newer and what do we need to do to make sure we're building those places and spaces people can connect yeah. all the way to do lots of community engagement but we also do stakeholder engagement so that means we would engage with government agencies you know industry representatives but also we get out into communities and talk to people who are directly impacted by decisions that might affect them and then we do strategic strategic plans so that's your big library strategies or social sustainability strategies we also do what we call social value work which is how can the private sector deliver better social value and what information do they need to help them make the good decisions they need to make and we do a lot of that we do what we call a community benefit analysis for developers where we let them know we say look this is your site your site exists in a much bigger context than just that site what do you need to do in your site and what can you contribute in in the neighborhood that you're moving into Mm. and why should you do that and what should you be kind of offering yeah, to deliver benefits for that place, for that community. That was going to be my, my next question, is actually <laughs> understanding what the ultimate outcomes are of, of the research that you do and the work and, yep. and the engagement that you do yep. in the communities. Yeah, it's to inform the the long-term benefits of... Totally. I mean, thinking a bit laterally as well, instead of saying, okay, well, I'm, this is a, a mixed-use development, but it's like, yeah, but what goes into it? What's exactly. Yeah, and I think that one of the things that's happened for far too long is a site-based approach to planning yep. and as a result we kind of ended up with these small developments yeah. maybe with a small park in them a little shopping center or something but around that small development there's been 20 other small developments and nobody has really been thinking about what are the cumulative impacts in terms of community infrastructures parks bike lanes all these things that go up to make places if you want to talk about place making but all these things that go up to make places and cities you can't plan for them based on one development site. And so um, what we try to do is think, what are the needs that exist in that site, but across the suburb, 
then maybe what you might call a catchment, which is a number of suburbs, all the way to a local government area and all across cross borders into the neighbouring LGAs. Mm. So thinking about that and from a strategic planning perspective, it's kind of what you should be doing. The problem with our industry is that different levels of government have different responsibilities for delivering different social needs and services. You know, so you've got local councils who get some sort of form of contribution and other um, income sources to deliver things like libraries and community facilities and local parks and things like that. And you have your state government and it's responsible obviously for your schools and your hospitals and your health services, but probably that bigger regional sporting infrastructure and things like that. And then you've got your federal government who funds a lot of service delivery. And so if we're just looking at what's happening on site, we're really missing out on all those big infrastructure needs and those big service needs. We're not planning for them in a strategic way as we yeah. set these housing targets. You're going to set housing targets. You've got to say, right, what, what needs else to go along with yeah, those housing targets? That's right. And where's the land to put it on? Yeah. Because land is really, really expensive. Yeah. If you miss out, you're not going to be able to go back and knock something down and build it. That's it's it. not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. It just seems like it's so well, complex. Well, you need to, I think, strategically plan yeah. above the local government level for where those... Once we, when we set housing targets, mm. at the same time, probably should be saying that kind of growth is going to mean we'll need, you know, four regional parks and four schools and new hospital or beds. So as we set those targets, we will also identify the land where those pieces of essential infrastructure will be located because councils can't do that. You know, they don't have the resources yeah. to do that and there's also these different levels of responsibility and I think what's happened is we've kind of gotten on the back foot a bit that's the thing about social planning there are so many sources of information that you draw from and it is a really strongly evidence-based discipline and the reason it's so evidence-based is because you have to fight so hard to demonstrate why something should happen and I think as a result people who work in this field have really learned how to uh, yeah get get the information and the evidence needed to make a really strong argument for yeah. something yeah because it's so much easier just to put a building up and, hey, and not actually think about it right look at those 4400 squares on a page yeah. I can make you that much money yeah. it's much easier well a lot a lot of it is desk based there's an enormous amount of demographic analysis mm. that you use so yeah. you're using ABS and other objective sources of data yeah. so there's a real mix of objective and subjective research we do an enormous amount of auditing and mapping using GIS. So we use a lot of visualization mm. to help demonstrate where there's particularly proximity gaps to, to services and facilities. So we use yeah, census data, GIS-based mapping. Yeah. We have lots of infographics. We're very visual in the way we, we present what we do. Yeah. So to help help people with very short <laughs> to understand why it's important. Yeah. Let's get back into the establishment of, of CRED. So uh, I mean, we've painted a really awesome <laughs> picture of it and some of the work that it does. But so when you, so you mentioned, yeah, when you, you started as doing more sort of small scale work and then, you know, what was after that? I had three children while I was doing the small scale work. They were really hard years, beautiful, enjoyable years, of course. Yes. You know, my mother had to say that, no, but they were. My <laughs> children are amazing. But also they were really hard years trying to work as a consultant, but it also gave me that freedom to be able to pick my kids up from childcare. I was the in, in control of my own hours, I suppose. Yes. It wasn't until about five years ago when all my kids were in, out of primary school that I decided that, it was time to actually build, really focus on building a business. Yep. I think that was about me and two other people in yep. my team at that point. And I just noticed that there was a huge gap in the market for really values-driven, ethical 
socially focused planning and engagement consultants. Yeah. It's not to say that the other consultancies aren't, but I think when you're part of a bigger machine, there's other way more drivers when you're small and you're focused more on the outcome rather than worrying about profit, then you are able to do more interesting things and work on more interesting projects because you've just got more freedom. And from then on, it just became a roller coaster. There's 16 of us now and there's one team in New South Wales and one team in Queensland. That's incredible. And it's pretty cool. You know, I'm not one of those business owners who has an MBA. You know, I learn as I go. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Probably shouldn't say that. But I have some really fantastic, really fantastic people in the industry mm. who support Cred and have been incredible allies to us. And um, I feel like there's a, yeah, it's a really strong network in Sydney. I think, I think there's amazing consultants in Sydney, actually. So yeah. that's been really enjoyable to have those people who we've worked with along the way, built relationships and partnerships mm. with, and um, who've also supported me on the business journey, which yeah. has been amazing. Into, and would you call these people, I guess, mentors and people with... Yeah, like, definitely right? mentors, but also yeah. people that we do a lot of work with. And interestingly, a lot of male consultancies have been really really supportive of us and our work and love our passion and love that they can kind of bring us in (laughs) to kind of say the stuff that they know needs to be said (laughs) yeah i've gone away of course and done build the skills i needed to build brought in really fantastic business coaches and people like that to help us build the business and cred really focused on our culture and our brand first yeah which i think established really strongly now in the industry we have a very very strong culture internally but i think it's well recognized externally and our brand is quite strong. The two key things that really struck me about Cred, which which are the things that I wanted to to speak with you about, are like the vision and the mission. Because that, to me, comes across very crisp, very strong. Like you you get it straight away. But that's... I guess simplicity in what you see there there's so much work that goes so behind. much work and there's also the culture I mean you can't have a good business without no a great culture no so. you can't and I think you know from what I see sometimes when I doubt myself I look around and I see all these people who you know there's this big startup industry or people have these five-year targets I've got to make this much profit by this point etc etc and I guess kind of naively building a business without those kinds of thoughts did mean that what we focused on so strongly was building a culture and I think what we know in the business world now is that that really is the fundamentals of a successful business Mm. so kind of without knowing it that's what we did and we did it as a collaborative team like the whole team was taken on the journey did all the business planning together we all help develop those those values yep. that we have. And then we have some really incredibly talented people with design skills in the team who then were able to visualize and it's all full of color and it's it's got a, it does have a very feminine feel, I think, but but it's also it's bold yep. and it's honest. At what point did a lot of this sort of buy-in happen? You know, was it when you had five people, ten people? Because <laughs> like, it's actually there's an there's a definite evolution yes. between working just yourself yes and even just taking one person on yeah all of a sudden you're looking after their well-being and yes, their development absolutely and so it's less it automatically doesn't become about you anymore it becomes about it the doesn't other become about yeah. you a lot so. a lot of young people are very focused on having a job with purpose at yeah. the moment yeah and so i think that's a great attractor but i think it was just constantly having your ears open and talking to people in the team and people feeling like they can be honest and letting you know that they're not getting what they need. So you would have these incredible young people who come in who might have worked in another organisation and they say, hey, what's our policy on this? And I'd be like, 
oh, we should probably have a policy on that. It's constantly realizing you don't know everything. I think that's the first thing, that young people can really be your greatest teachers because they are so connected to how the world's changing. So listening to the young people in your team, I think is really, really, really valuable. Yeah, I think it's a pretty, pretty strong team, pretty tight team, but they all believe in what we do because they were taken on the journey of developing those values. Yeah. They were involved in it. It sounds like from the get-go, you had a really strong understanding of what you wanted to be, what you wanted the business to be about. Did you have that very clear vision at, at the start or was it something that evolved over time and you thought, I, you know, was able to crystallize it as you did the work? I think it's the second. Yeah. So I absolutely knew that I wanted to work in a role that, made life better for people. That was something I knew, but in terms of the vision of cred, that's absolutely definitely evolved. And it's evolved as I suppose I became more cemented in the work that I did and I met more people in the industry and I was able to sit in meetings with different decision makers and kind of think, wow, that really needs to change. What can I do to change that? I'm definitely one of those people that jumps into things and thinks I can do that. So I would be in meetings and I would think this is really not good. I've got a very strong equity monitor. And then I would go away and think, wow, what can we do to change this? Or what can I get involved in? I was involved with the Planning Institute for a long time, which I really loved. Now I'm just joined Parks and Leisure Australia. So I think it's really important to be involved in those associations and it helps drive the improvements that you make as well. So how did you go about distilling those aspects and your beliefs? For example, did you get help to do it? Or was it, like you said, got that really strong feel about what it should be? You know, did you have people that you spoke with and said, look... Social planning, probably in the olden days, was very, very word-heavy. Bringing Elise, who you know from SJB, she joined the team very early. There was just three of us. And she is a really genius visual communicator. So she was able to help, I think, me articulate all the things that I had learnt and thought into much more easy to understand visual communications. And I think as the world's changing, you have to do that more and more and more now. If you can't provide a snappy visual to demonstrate what what needs to happen, you're not going to get people's attention. So having people like Elise and other really incredible people in in those early days, I think we just worked together and collaborated and it's we're still learning we're still learning how to do things differently and it really is about the people in the organization so um, the people in our team are incredible and they all bring different skills and Mm -hmm. you just have to be open to listening to what they see and constantly evolving yourself i just don't think you can sit still you can't sit still still in consulting everything's changing all the time every word every piece of a word in your website or how you communicate about yourself means something. Yeah. And as community engagement specialists, that's been incredibly important to us because we understand that if you have to go out and facilitate 100 people in a room about some sort of public decision mm-hmm. and you haven't thought about every single word that you're going to use in that meeting, it could go pear-shaped. That has helped us as well as a business develop in a way that we can really clearly communicate um, and articulate what we do. This is the end of the first part of the episode. Coming up will be the second and final part where we discuss industry insights through the lens of social planning and how the social planning discipline is being used to create more robust and resilient communities. See you soon.